Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, great to have you here today. My name is Paul Mumon. I'm the lead pastor uh, here at Genesis. Hope you've had a, a great spring break. For those of you that have been traveling, maybe just coming back. I know we've got a lot of students going back to school tomorrow. Maybe some of you have been in school already, had a spring break uh, a, a while back. Um, Today uh, is Palm Sunday, and uh, for us as Christians, this is a day that we recognize the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ uh, into Jerusalem. Uh, Palm Sunday marks the beginning of Holy Week. Uh, Holy Week, again, just signifies the last week of Christ's life uh, here on the earth uh, before he was crucified on the cross on what we uh, call Good Friday, which will be this Friday. Man, we'd love to just help you as you think and as you pray through uh, the week. Uh, We have uh, acquired a couple of devotionals uh, that you can obtain. Uh, they are on the website. They're on the app if you prefer to, to have these things electronically. Uh, but for the rest of you, uh, we've got a copy of this uh, week-long study, uh, just one day for, for the next week through Holy Week. Uh, it's written by John Piper, actually, and it's a study we came across that we thought would be very helpful uh, to you as you just spend some time alone this week, reflecting on the events of the week, reflecting on the cross and on the empty tomb. These are available back at the Info Hub. If you'd like to take one of these with you today, again, don't forget they're on your app or on the web too. We also have a family devotional as well, which is certainly a little more appropriate for kids. And uh, so this could be something that you do around the dinner table this week, maybe take a, a few minutes every night at dinner, again, for all of us to just begin setting our minds on this final week, all these things that our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, did and accomplished for us. Uh, we want to take appropriate time to do just that, and then certainly as we come back together next Saturday and Sunday, not only to reflect on the power of the cross, but certainly the empty tomb and the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. And as Kevin said, man, I hope you're thinking and praying about some people in your life that you can invite here with you next weekend, and uh, man, if you're free next weekend too, maybe consider checking out the Saturday services. Again, all four services are identical. We know it's going to be a really big weekend here next weekend with attendance, and so if you could attend Saturday. Saturday, that certainly would open up some seats on Sunday mornings uh, for all the guests and the new people that we'll be coming to. Uh, So be sure to check that out. Hey, if you've got a Bible with you today, take it and turn to Romans chapter 8. We've been in a series uh, just simply called Romans chapter 8. It's in the New Testament. Uh, We've got some Bibles around the room. We'll have the words on these screens uh, as well. But Romans chapter 8, I haven't talked about my dog in a while. So uh, as you're getting there, I wanted to show you a picture of my dog, Louie. Got a picture of Louie here. And uh, Louie's a really good dog. We've had Louie for almost uh, five years now. We adopted him from the uh, Hamilton County uh, Humane Society again almost five years ago. Uh, his given name was Grandpa. Uh, when we got him, they, uh, his, his given name was Grandpa. We kind of decided that wasn't going to fly really well. Like just the potential confusion, you know, of being out in public and, you know, one of the kids saying, you know, hey, Grandpa pooped on the carpet or, you know, uh, did, did we remember to put Grandpa in his cage before we left the house? Like, again, we didn't really feel like that was going to work, and so we changed his name to Louie, but Louie almost never came to be for us. And uh, the reason why he was never almost uh, not a reality for us is because of another dog that we had before Louie that really kind of ruined pet ownership for us. And uh, it's this dog. It's a dog that we formerly had, this dog named Lady. 
And uh, we had Lady for about nine years. Uh, we, we spelled Lady C-R-A-Z-Y because Louie was crazy. I mean, she was crazy. And I'll never forget the day that Jenny and I chose Lady. We had been married just a short time. We were living in Anderson. Uh, we went to this home where there were puppies, and there were four or five of them. And man, if I could just have that moment back and just have picked a different dog other than Lady because Lady was going to change our lives uh, forever. And she did. She radically changed our lives. And just to give you a little bit of the lowdown, Lady never slept in her cage uh, or enjoyed that cage from the very beginning of her life until well, the end of it. She pooped in the car. She pooped in the house. She pooped in her cage. She chewed up and destroyed so many different things. There was the surgery. Uh, there were the allergy shots that we had to endure with her. She had anxiety issues, which required Prozac. Yes, our dog for a while was on Prozac. Uh, she ran away multiple times and always came back. Uh, there were... <laughs> All of the vet visits and carpet cleanings and groomings and meds and kennel stays. And after nine years of lots and lots of pain, it came down to this. We had three very young children and a dog more needy than all combined. And someone had to go. And so we drew straws and the dog lost. And so let's just say this. I took a drive with the dog out to the farm one day. I'm just kidding. I didn't really take the dog for a drive out to the farm. But I might have... Uh, gotten to know someone over Craigslist uh, who was looking for a dog, and yes, there might have been an exchange of our dog with this woman in a Walmart parking lot, but she had really good references, I promise. She checked out, and uh, so we were able to send Lady to a brand new home, and then we got out of Louisville and moved here as quickly as possible <laughs> so that she would never find us again. But to think... If I could go back to that day in that living room and with those choices amongst us and choose a different dog to choose a different puppy, oh, lady taught us so many lessons about life and about patience and all those good things. How does that fit in? Well, we're in Romans 8 today. Uh, this morning, I want to talk with you about what it means to say that God has adopted you. Uh, what does it mean to say that God picked you and that he chose you and that he made no mistake in that. So here's the truth, the good news for us today. If you're in Jesus Christ today, God chose you. Uh, he has adopted you into his family. And for those reasons, uh, you belong to him. Just a little bit of a review going back just a few weeks now. We kicked off this series looking at verses 1 through 4 in this chapter uh, with our Noblesville campus pastor Ben. And we discovered that those who are in Christ, and remember, that's really the key for this whole chapter. All right, these promises are for those who are in Christ. Paul says there's no condemnation, all right, for those that are in Christ Jesus because of the law of the spirit of life uh, gives life, all right? Uh, and the law, has, the, the spirit, the spirit of life has set us free, uh, as Paul says, from the law of sin and death. And so that's just good news for us. Uh, that's good news for all of us. The good news is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be a perfect sin offering uh, for us. Jesus met all of the righteous requirements of the law. And he gave his life on the cross. And he gave that on that day that we know as Good Friday, that day that we're going to lead up to this week. And so for now, uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus, uh, you've been set free. We've been set free from the law of sin and death. And then last week, we continued on with verses 5 through 14. And we see that in Christ, uh, we are empowered. Uh, that is that if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, uh, he has put his Holy Spirit. He's put his very presence in you and for your life. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to, uh, the ability to live obedient lives for God in this world. Well, this morning, 
We're going to look at this next section of Romans chapter 8. We're going to actually back up a couple of verses and start with verse 12. We looked at that briefly last week and then continue on through verse 17. And what I want you to see right from the start, and if you're taking notes with us today and you want to write this down if it's not already there, the truth is that if you're in Christ, you've been adopted. All right, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you've uh, trusted Jesus Christ uh, with your life, you are adopted, you are a, a child of God, uh, you are a part of God's family. And that's just one more great promise for us uh, that we discover out of this great chapter in Romans 8 that, that really has the potential to be the real difference maker uh, for you in your life. And I, I don't know where you come from today. I don't know what your circumstances are like. I don't know what your week's been like or or even this year, or what you're going through right now, but especially for those of you today that maybe find yourself feeling lost or, or abandoned, or uh, maybe you're struggling with some fear right now in your life, or struggling with uh, nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. Maybe you're, you're beat up by sin right now. Maybe you're beat up by some past choices. Uh, maybe you're living in the aftershock of some choices that someone made, somebody around you, somebody that you love dearly. If you're in Christ, God has adopted you. And you're a part of his family, and there are incredible benefits that come to being in a relationship with God like that. So Romans chapter 8 today, uh, starting in verse 12, Paul uh, begins this passage with a word we've seen before. We see it at the very beginning of the chapter when he, he starts off in verse 12 by saying, therefore. And again, in, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to ask, okay, what's it there for? And uh, so as Paul says, therefore, brothers and sisters... And uh, what Paul is doing is he's pointing back to something that we looked at last week and together, uh, really this comparison of living one of two lives. Uh, if you remember from last week, Paul was saying, you know, you can either live your life according to the flesh, all right, in all of its desires, all right, sometimes referred to as the sinful nature, or you can live your life according to the Spirit. You can live your life uh, in obedience to God. You can live your life uh, dependent on God, dependent on His Spirit. And so Paul says, hey, if you're in Christ Jesus, again, if you've trusted Christ with your life, then he continues, you've got an obligation, all right, we have an obligation, but it's, it's not according to the flesh, all right, to live according to the flesh. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now look at verse 14. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Write that down if you're taking notes today. God, God's children are led by the Spirit. Basically, Paul says, hey, do you want an indicator like, you, you want some evidence in your own life? You want to do some self-evaluation? Ask yourself, am I living by the Spirit today? All right, am I, am I choosing? Am I making every effort to live my life according to the Spirit? He says, hey, if you want to look at people's lives around you, not really in a judgmental sort of attitude, that's not what he's getting at, but he's just saying, hey, some real evidence, a real indicator of who a person is truly living for has a lot to do with whether they're living by the flesh and their own sinful nature or they're living totally and completely dependent on the Spirit of God. So he says God's children are led by the Spirit. These first three verses just give us a clear indication of who God's children are. And we've hit this several times before, and I think we need to keep addressing it because the predominant thought today is that we're all God's children, but that's not a biblically accurate view. At all. I mean, it is true that we are all God's creation, but we're not all God's children. All right? Because John 1.12, as we see this proof in John 1.12, when John writes, yet to, all did who, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right 
to become children of God. See, the children of God are those who have received Christ. Uh, The children of God are those who have believed in his name. And Paul says earlier in Romans, confessed with their mouths that Jesus is Lord. That's how you become a child of God. These are those who are children of God. Now stop there for just a second if you would. Let me ask you today, how about you? If If you consider these things, as you keep these things in mind, are you a child of God today? Have you put your trust in Christ? Do you... Have you, have you confessed belief in him? If you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then absolutely, yes, you are a child of God. But if you were to die today for the rest of you, do you know where you would spend eternity? Are you a child of God? Have you, have you trusted in him as Lord and Savior? Today can be the day for you to do just that and to celebrate this week and to celebrate Easter maybe like you never have before. Who, who's a child of God according to the Paul? It says it's the one who is living by his spirit. Basically, you'll know who they are, okay? Because they're not living by what the flesh desires. They aren't slaves to the flesh, but rather they'll, they'll be putting to death uh, the, the flesh by the power of the spirit. They'll be choosing obedience rather than choosing sin. Now, does that mean that God's children never sin? Absolutely not. Uh, not at all. I mean, if, and if you want to know what that looks like, you need to listen to last week's message. We, we did show this graph last week. We kind of talked through this a little bit. Again, we talked about the difference between living by the flesh and living by the Spirit and how both have desires and interests, but those desires and interests of the flesh really acting on that flesh, it's sin. There's no way to get around it than to call it sin itself. And as you continue living in this pattern of living by the flesh, it ultimately leads to death. And even as Christians, I mean, it leads to a miserable life. It leads to this miserable life, but instead to live by the Spirit again with all of its desires and interests. And we talked about lots of those that we see in Scripture last week. Acting on those things leads to righteousness. A pattern of living this way is truly living by the Spirit and ultimately leads to life, a Zoe life, an abundant sort of life that Jesus has in mind. It's the type of life that I think we all desire and hope for, but that's truly a, a fulfilling and peaceful life, a life by the Spirit. And I think the greatest tool that we talked about last week is, well, what happens if you've been living by the flesh? How do you get back to living by the Spirit again? The answer is confession. It's repentance. And it's choosing a life of repentance, of recognizing that I've sinned, and if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's not that God's children never sin, but because they do, they also confess. And one of the great disciplines and uh, practices that you can uh, practice in your life is to practice that, 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 that attitude of confession. And, and it's not then to go back to what you were doing, but to turn and move in another direction because his grace is good and his mercy is good for us and he desires change. And so we confess and in doing so we put to death the misdeeds of the body. And remember, as we're striving to walk, if you're making every effort to walk as Jesus walked, to live by the Spirit, we'll never be sinless, all right? But as one person said, we should sin less. The more and more we live by the Spirit, we should sin less. As we follow God's Spirit and as we confess our sin, that's what happens. We, we sin less because we're becoming more and more like Christ and we're becoming more and more dependent on His Spirit. And that only happens as we follow where the Spirit leads. And so the, the children of God, according to Paul, are led by the Spirit of God. And then, then this, verse 15, he says, The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, 
so that you live in fear again. Here's point number two in your notes. God, God's children are led by the Spirit, number one. The second thing is this, is that God, God's children are not slaves to fear. All right, if you're, if you're living for the Lord, if you've put your trust in Christ and you're living by the Spirit, you don't have to live with fear anymore uh, in your life. We, we don't have to live as slaves to fear. And remember week one of the series, Ben talked about the law. That is what God says we should do and what he says we, we shouldn't do. And, and, and Ben talked a little bit about religion too. And when, when you put all of your faith in religion, well, religion is really nothing more than just trying to make ourselves right with God by doing all the right things, by following uh, all of the rules. And of course, the desire to do right is good. All right, that, that's a good thing. But the fact is that in our own strength, we're not capable of doing these things. Uh, we're not capable of fulfilling the law because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so apart from Christ, all right, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you're not living by the Spirit, we tend to live with this fear all the time. Uh, we live with this fear and we're left wondering, you know, was I good enough today? Or did I do enough for God uh, to love me? Did all of the good outweigh the bad in my life? And what Paul is telling us here is that when you're living your life by the Spirit, you don't have to live like that. You don't have to live with that kind of fear uh, anymore. And so when you're living by the Spirit, you realize that you're not a slave to the law anymore. Now, is the law bad? No, the law is not bad, and we should strive to follow. And I mean, it was Christ himself that said, I have come uh, not to get rid of the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. And he did just that, and he met all of the righteous requirements of the law with his life. They were fulfilled, and that righteousness of Christ is now credited to all of God's children. That's how God sees us. If we're in Christ today, he sees us as if we are with Christ because we are. And so for that reason alone, you don't have to live your life day to day wondering, you know, if you're good enough. If you're good enough for God to love you because he's not, uh, because his love is not dependent on how good you are on your own. The Spirit says that we don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live with this fear anymore because it's the spirit in us. It's the very presence of God himself in us because of Christ, because of his death and resurrection that makes all of the difference. Um, Dr. Bill Bright, the uh, former director, uh, late Bill Bright, Campus of Crusade for Christ, tells this story of a famous field, uh, an oil field called the Yates Pool. Uh, here, here's how his story goes. He says, during the Depression, this field was a sheep ranch owned by a man named Mr. Yates. And Mr. Yates wasn't able to make enough on his ranching operation to pay the principal and interest on the mortgage, so he was in danger of losing his ranch. And so with little money for clothes or food, uh, his family, like many others, had to live on government subsidy. Day after day, as he grazed his sheep over those rolling West Texas hills, he had no doubt uh, he was greatly troubled about how in the world he was going to pay his bills well, then a seismographic crew from an oil company uh, came into the area and told him that there might be oil on his land. Uh, they asked permission to drill a wildcat well, and he signed a lease contract. At 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Many subsequent wells were more than twice as large. In fact, 30 years after the discovery, a government test of one of the wells showed it had the potential to flow uh, 125,000 barrel uh, barrels of oil a day. And Mr. Yates owned it all. And the day he purchased the land, he had received the oil and mineral rights, even though he didn't realize it, yet he'd been living on relief. He says this, a multimillionaire living in poverty... The problem, 
He didn't know the oil was there even though he owned it. Here's the thing. Think about how easy it is, even as a follower of Jesus today, to live in spiritual poverty like this. I wonder how many of you are living in spiritual poverty this morning, living your life according to the flesh, and, and maybe you don't even realize it. I mean, you've, you've given your life to Christ. You've put your trust in him. By that we are free, by that we are empowered, which means you're entitled to all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and his energizing power, but we forget. We forget what's available to us. We, we overlook this great blessing from God, and instead of living in the riches of his grace and his power for us, so often we live in fear. So often we're on this path of living towards the miserable life. We're depressed. We have no hope. Here's the thing for us today. Be reminded of this today. Let God do this in you today. If you're in Christ, you have no reason to fear anymore. You have no reason to live a hopeless life. You belong to God. And if you're in Christ, then you have the very gift of his presence in you, his spirit. And if his presence is leading you, if his spirit is leading in you, one of the things that that presence does for us is he reminds us that we are children of God. We are children of God and all of the rights and the privileges that come with that are yours and mine. Look at verse 15 again. He says, so the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, here's what's interesting about this phrase, adoption to sonship. Ladies, you're not excluded here, all right? All right, this isn't just for the men, all right? This is uh, for all of us, and here's why. In the Greek language, there is more than one word that can be translated as child. One is this word, uh, paideon. All right, it's a word that just simply means little child, and this would uh, have been a, a word that was used to describe a small infant or a child, and it's also sometimes a metaphor uh, used for an immature Christian. And so it's the word that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, when he says, let the little children come to me, all right? But paideon, that's not the word that's being used here uh, in Romans 8. Uh, the word that's translated children here in Romans 8, at least in the NIV, is the Greek word weos, all right? which also means little child, but it's different, all right? This is an adult child, all right? This is an adult child, literally an adult son, and it refers to a child who has been given the full responsibilities and inheritances from his or her father. And that's the word that you, is used here to describe us as God's children. Now, here's what I think happened. I think the NIV chose the word child instead of son that you'll see in some translations to really indicate and emphasize that this promise is for both men uh, and women. But what Paul is, is saying, again, is that his audience, all right, with his audience that have his in mind, that this is for men and women alike, that we are all sons of God. Now, why is that, why is that important? I mean, it sounds a little weird to say that a woman is a son of God, but in first century Rome, the daughter would never receive an inheritance from the father. All right, it wasn't going to happen like that. It was the son who would receive all of the riches of the household. And so Paul makes it clear here by using the word weos that everyone is entitled. Spiritually speaking, we're all sons of God because all of us equally receive the inheritance of God. All of us are, are like firstborn sons in a sense which means that he doesn't withhold more for some and, and maybe less for others. No, his inheritance is for all people. And it doesn't matter your gender. 
It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your religion. That's why Paul was able to say it another place. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 29, he explains that all of us are children of God through faith. And in Christ, there is no difference between Jew or Gentile or slave or free or male or female. We are all one in Christ. And so the promise for us is that when you're in Christ, you have no reason to fear. Like you don't have to be afraid. As a, as a child of God, you can trust him no matter the situations of life. I mean, you can trust him no matter what's going on in school right now or no matter what's ahead for you. You can trust him uh, no matter how difficult things may be or complicated they may be at work. Uh, you can trust him when you're beat up by things that you've done in your past. You can, you can trust him when you feel alone. You can, uh, parents, you can, you can trust him when your children are struggling. Uh, you can trust him with your marriage, whatever the situation, we can, we can trust him, and that's an incredible assurance. And one more thing here about sons, at least in the first century. In first century Roman culture, an adopted son, all right, was a son that was deliberately chosen to perpetuate the name and the inheritance of the estate. And so now, through Christ, it's as if God comes to you and me today and says, I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter, and I want to give you not just simply a portion of the inheritance, but I want to give you all of my inheritance, and I want to give you my blessing, and I want to give you the joy and the fulfillment and the purposes that can only come from me. And that's what he's saying to us. That he's saying that the children of God are led by the Spirit of God, that we're no longer slaves to fear. And then he says this one more time in verse 15, the last part of that, and he says, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Here's point number three in your notes. Uh, God's children call him Father. You and I can cry out to him as Father. We can call him Father. That's one of the benefits of being in Christ is that we can call him Abba, Father. And uh, those are the same words used by Jesus uh, in places like Mark chapter 14, verse 36, the very night he was betrayed. And you can read all about that in your Holy Week study guide uh, this week. But Jesus cried out to God in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, saying, praying, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. It's the, it's the perfect illustration of what Paul is writing about in Romans 8. Jesus, led by his spirit, is crying out, Abba, Father, and what we have here is the Aramaic word Abba and the Greek word Pater or Father. Now, that word Abba, we've talked about it here before, but if that's new to you, it's a gentle, intimate term used for God, really. Possibly the best uh, English equivalent that we have, equivalent word, is, is a word like daddy, or maybe even better, is a word like papa. It's a word that recognizes his authority, but it's intimate and relational at the very same time. The Greek word, on the other hand, pater, is similar, but it's more of a formal term. And it's the most often used in the literal sense as the father in the family, but it can also be used metaphorically, too. Here's the thing. Abba, father... Like what Paul's getting at, what Jesus had in mind, is that's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you. Uh, it's the kind of relationship that Jesus had with God. It's the, the word Abba was, the, again, the word Jesus regularly used to refer to God. And when we call him Abba Father, and with the same respect and affection that Jesus had, well, we are making the same sound that actually fell from Jesus' lips when he talked to, when he prayed to, when he cried out 
to God. And what Jesus did for us is he, he really transformed that relationship with God for all people, a relationship that was so often looked at as this distant corporate experience into an intimate, one-to-one sort of a bond. He taught his disciples to pray with intimacy. He invites you and me to pray with intimacy at the very same time. And that's what Paul's emphasizing here in verse 15. He reminds us that if you're in Christ, guess what? If you're in Christ Jesus, you are a child of God. And because you're a child of God, you have special access to God as a father and as a child has to a father. And with that, all of these special rights and this invitation and these privileges to come to him as a child comes to his father. I remember uh, a night a couple of years ago, we had gone down to a an Indianapolis Indians baseball game. It was a beautiful night, and we were outside the stadium waiting for some friends. Uh, before the game started, there was a big crowd coming in, and I remember this 13, 14, maybe 15-year-old boy uh, came walking up to me and uh, very politely just said, hey, sir, can I borrow your phone for a second? I want to make a phone call. Now, I kind of stepped back for a moment because I got to thinking, like, what 13, 14, 15-year-old boy today doesn't have a phone, all right, besides my son, all right? My son doesn't get a phone until he graduates college. But uh, anyway, he asked if he could borrow my phone, and I thought, okay, am I, am I being duped here? Or what's going on? And, and so I was like, well, what do you need to make a phone call for? And he's like, well, I'm supposed to meet somebody here, and I can't find them. And I said, all right. I said, well, I'm going to hand you my phone in just a second. Are you going to run off with it? Because I know karate, which I don't really know karate, but I thought I'd just kind of put that out there. And he laughed, and, and so he made this phone call, of course. But I got to tell you, I didn't trust him at first. All right, there, there was definitely some skepticism on my part, and, and there wasn't trust. The, the kid needed my help, all right? He needed to make this, this call. I didn't know him, and so again, therefore, I didn't have trust in him. We didn't have this relationship. I let him make the call, by the way, and he found his friend. But that's not the kind of interaction we have to worry about having with our father, all right? Because we're his children, and because we belong to him, because you belong to him, You have special access to God as Abba, Father, and so he invites you to come. And man, you can see this all throughout the scriptures. He invites us to come when we're tired and troubled, as we read about in places like Matthew 11, 28, or in 1 Peter 5, 7, when he tells us to cast all of our anxiety and all of our burdens on him because he cares for us. He even tells us that that when we don't know what to say, his very spirit that's at work in us, that that spirit intercedes and prays on our behalf. Isn't that a wonderful promise and encouragement today that especially if you're struggling today and you don't even know what to pray for anymore, his very spirit will pray on your behalf because he is Abba and because he's Father and because you're in Christ. Again, he's your father, and it's his spirit that drives us to cry out to him, not fearful, not timid, but we can run into his arms, and we can experience his love and his presence at any moment. That's what kind of father he is. And then Paul says this in Romans 8, 16. He says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. There's a lot packed into that verse, so we don't have time to talk about today. But he says, then if, if we are uh, children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. Right point number four down in your notes, God's children are heirs of God. 
Um, I, I talk plenty about my kids, but I, I've got three children. Uh, all three bear my name, and so because of that, they enjoy the benefits of being called a moomaw, and there are many, all right, of having a name like that. Uh, they sleep under my roof. They eat at our table. They, they wrestle and dance and play ping pong in, in my basement. Why? Uh, because they're my children. All right, they, they belong to me, and it gives me great pleasure. It gives Jenny great pleasure to share everything we have with them. And one day, when Jenny and I are with Jesus, my children will receive a portion, an inheritance from what Jenny and I have because they are my heirs. And in the same way, when you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior and you submit your life to him, as we've been emphasizing today, you're adopted into God's family, which means you're given all of the rights and privileges that come with being a child of God. Things like you're given a new identity in Jesus Christ. You're, you're, it's a life where you're no longer identified by your sin, but by the righteousness of Christ that we sang about just a few minutes ago. You're a, you're a new creation in Jesus Christ, and you're called a son of God. You're called a daughter of God, and you are given an inheritance. And listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 about that inheritance. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Here's the thing. Because of our adoption, because of your adoption, we have something for now all right, but we also have something to look forward to in the future. It means there's more to come. All right, there's more to come for those of you that are in Christ. It, it's our inheritance as children of God into his eternal presence. He's given us a hope and a future to look forward to in, in, in heaven. That's what uh, one teacher that I really enjoy, uh, Dan Spader, often refers to as the now but not yet promises. Uh, the promises that we have in Christ are for right now. No doubt, absolutely for sure, but they won't be fully realized until Christ returns. That's when our adoption will be complete once and for all. That's when we will be made like him in every way. But in the meantime, and Paul gives us this last statement, again, back to verse 17 one more time. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So we are his heirs, but write this down as well and finish out number four there, if we share in Christ's sufferings. And that's a little bit of a tease, and we'll spend a lot more time with this next weekend, Easter weekend. But what Paul is saying is that at the close of this section is that suffering and sonship go hand in hand. And so on the one hand, we have the wonder of being in Christ on this side of heaven. But at the same time, that also means living in a world that hates God. And for now, as Christians, we're called to be light and hope, even in the midst of pain and suffering. And so what does it mean? What does it look like to trust God and live by the Spirit and hold on to hope in a world that crucified Christ? Well, consider this before we close. Today marks the beginning of Holy Week. The Sunday before Easter today is what we refer to as Palm Sunday. It marks the, 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 the first day of the last week of Christ's life on this earth. And if you know the account of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, as Jesus traveled that path into Jerusalem, people laid their cloaks on the road. Others cut palm branches and waved them uh, in front of Jesus as he rode this colt into the city. 
Uh, this was literally the royal treatment. And the people cheered him that day, and they cheered because they believed that he was the Messiah, the king that had come, the one that they'd been waiting for, and they were right. But what they failed to realize is that Jesus wasn't the kind of king they were hoping he would be. Jesus didn't come to destroy Rome. That's what, what they hoped for. He, he came to destroy sin. And his mission was to conquer death and to suffer and die for the sins of the world. And so Jesus understood that suffering and sonship go hand in hand. And Paul understood it too. He understood it when he wrote this passage that I bet many of you are familiar with. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, when he said, for, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's the part we all know and, and we're familiar with these words, all right? But then in verse 22, he says, if I am to live in the flesh, and in this case, to live here on this earth and in this time, he says, that means fruitful labor for me. And so to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's an emotionally charged verse, all right, when you think about it. You know, we'd say, you know what, I'd die for this, or I'll, I'll die for that. I... But the question that we have to consider this morning is, but, but will you live for it? Like, will you suffer for it? Uh, will you commit the, every day for the rest of the, your life here on this earth to the fruitful labor that comes from being called a son of God or a daughter of God? Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. This adoption we've received and the inheritance that we've been offered is a now but not yet. It's ours, not, it's ours now. It'll be fully recognized when Christ returns one day, but until then, and again, what I believe the emphasis of this passage really is is this. There's work to be done. God, God's kids don't sit on their hands and just wait for Jesus to return but instead, as we focus our minds on Christ, as we understand our place in his family for all eternity, we pursue the Father's glory by bearing much fruit. And today, we make a commitment to labor for the name of Christ. And we're willing to suffer for the benefit of others. And we're willing to center our lives around helping people find their way back to God. Because that's what Jesus did, and that's what God's children are called to do as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, that's a, a bit of a, it's almost a bit of a punch to kind of round out this time together this morning to, on the one hand, consider all of these promises and blessings and benefits that we've been offered as children of God, and then yet to realize, though, that, well, you've warned us, you just, you at least let us know that that's, it's going to mean some suffering here on this earth. Father, I pray today that we would be so overwhelmed by the gift that we've received in you and your love and your grace and the death of Jesus Christ and all of the blessings that have been poured out to us and forgiveness and hope and, and glory and all these things, Father. Father, I pray that by your spirit in us, we will be motivated and strengthened now to go and to live for you and to bear fruit no matter what it requires in this world. God, will you give us strength today? Give us faith today. Give us boldness. Lord, help us to be obedient and to live for your name here on this earth. What a, what a joy to be reminded that we are no longer slaves to fear, but we are children of God, and we belong to your family, and all of our hope is in you today. All of our hope is in you, God.
And as we pray, and for those of you in the room right now that have never put your trust in Jesus Christ before, the invitation is yours to step into God's family today. And he will pronounce you free. And he will empower you with the gift of his presence for your life. And to be able to say again that you are a part of God's family. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you believe in your heart that Christ has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Maybe you're ready to make a move like that this morning. I want to invite you to do just that. Jesus is a free gift for you, but he wants every part of you. He wants all of your life, and well, you can make that commitment to him today. He's more than willing to make that commitment to you. And if you've never received him as your Lord and Savior today, maybe just where you're seated right now, you can just pray something like, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. Take my life today. I belong to you. Father, we thank you for this good news. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you rode into that city on that day 2,000-some years ago, and you gave your life on the cross for us. We want to live our lives for you. We want to be focused on you all week long, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to celebrate together next weekend the gift that we have in you. Lord, help us to live for you today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.